Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hey everybody, welcome back to Startup Happy Hour. I'm Diana Chen, your host. And today I have Sasha Pilch with me. Sasha is a new business at Ramp. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because we had somebody else from Ramp on the podcast back in episode six, Lisa Hahn. If you haven't listened to that, go back and give that a listen. And Sasha is also the co-founder of NYC Fintech Women, which is a community of 5,000 members across startups, banks, and VCs. So I'm super excited to talk to her about all of that and especially about being a female in a very male-dominated space. Hey, Sasha, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So why don't you just go ahead and tell people a little bit more about what you're working on right now? Um, So they've heard a little bit about Ramp from if they've listened to episode six with Lisa, but she was in a very different role than you're in. So go ahead and tell people a little bit about Ramp and then about um, NYC FinTech Women and how that got started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So just at a high level, Ramp is a corporate card that strengthens financial performance. And the way that we do that is instead of Amex or Chase or any traditional corporate card, which pretty much just allows you to make payments, we also analyze all of your spend and identify any potential wastage. Um, I saw the use case for this firsthand when I was at Plaid, the last company I worked for. Um, you know, We scaled really quickly and there was a ton of duplication. And so a product like Ramp really helps those Series B, Series C tech companies get on top of their spend. Um, and in addition to that, I also founded um, FinTech Women. So that's my side hustle, which I love very dearly. Um, and in terms of what I do at Ram, so I was the first business hire here, first new business hire. Um, so I was the 13th employee and essentially the first salesperson. Um, so I'm happy to say that Ramp is now the fastest growing corporate card in the US. Um, so it's myself and five others now on the sales team. And we're in charge of finding new potential clients. The majority of those are switching from legacy providers like American Express, as well as some of the new tech providers like Rex. Gotcha. That's awesome. Congrats to you and to Ram too for growing so quickly. That's really cool. Uh, So what does a day-to-day look like for you as somebody that works in new business? So it's still an early stage startup. So it's a pretty busy day, pretty long day. Um, But the main things that I'm working on are responding to people that have shown interest in Ramp and showing them the platform and tailoring how our product can help to their specific pain points. Um, I also do a lot of outreach to my network or to companies that look like they would be a good fit for Ramp. Um, I am also responsible for onboarding all of our customers and ensuring that they're set up on the platform correctly um, and that they feel comfortable migrating fully over to Ramp. So how is this role different from a traditional business development role? And I know that you come from kind of a business development and sales background. So I guess how is this new business development role different from your past uh, biz dev roles? 
Yeah, sure. It's a great question. Um, so biz dev can mean different things at different organizations. Uh, when I was at Quovo, we just considered it like developing the business. So bringing on as many new clients as we could. Um, when I moved to Plaid, we had a different definition of it. So we had a, a team that was called business development that focused on building the relationships with the 14,000 banks and credit unions that Plaid connects with. Um, the team that I was in at Plaid was actually the sales team. So I was very focused on bringing on new customers. Um, now in my role at Ramp, I'm the new business lead. And so that again is very focused on sales and new customers. Gotcha. And so do you have a pretty big team or is it still pretty small? But um, I guess like, are you in charge of managing a team as well? And uh, how is that something that you've done in the past or is that kind of a new thing that you've been doing since you got to ramp? Uh, so it is pretty new for me. I haven't been a people leader in sales before. Um, I was in my previous life working for the largest banks like City, Royal Bank of Scotland, RBS and um, the big banks in Australia, Commonwealth Bank and Westpac. Um, but this role, um, considering I was the first sales hire, I have been um, involved in the hiring process of the other account executives, um, been very involved in onboarding them and being there to answer their questions and uh, help share best practice. Awesome. So how, how does working at a startup compare to working at those big companies? And how did you, I guess, make the pivot from you know, the cities and the RBSs of the world to now being the first sales hire at a startup? <laughs> um, so they couldn't be more different, to be honest. So um, I started my career at Westpac, which is the biggest bank in Australia, straight out of university, I got into a graduate program. And then I wanted to live in London. And that's when I transferred over to other big banks. It just made sense because of my experience. Um, but then after 10 years, I was getting pretty tired of the inefficiencies and the bureaucracy and the hierarchy and all these big banks. Um, and I just found them to be pretty slow moving and slow adopters of technology. Um, so I started getting interested in fintech. There was nothing though in Australia that was really exciting me. Um, I went on a vacation, just like two weeks vacation from my role, which was then at Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And at the end of that vacation, I just really didn't want to go back to my role at the bank. And I asked my boss if I could extend for a week and go to New York City. She said yes. And after a few networking events, I realized how big the opportunity was in tech startups in the US. So I called my boss back and I quit my job. And then I never went back and I stayed in the US. Um, fortunately, I landed a role at Quovo. Um, which later then got acquired by Plaid. So it ended up being a good move and I'm really happy I did it. Props to you for doing that. That takes a lot of guts. And I bet Thanks. your your former boss regretted saying yes to your one-week vacation extension forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was great. She was great about it. Oh, so, good, good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's interesting though. I didn't realize that the tech startup scene wasn't... Um, the same in Australia or, you know, in, in countries that you, that I guess I, I would have assumed have similar sorts of, you know, tech or startup scenes. Yeah, there's definitely a scene there. Um, I compare it to like when I lived in London, it's just a totally 
different type of country, type of city when there aren't that many people. So like the whole population of Australia is only 25 million and we have, you know, 425 million here in the U S. Um, and when you don't have that many people, there's just like less of a marketplace to have customers and therefore there are less companies. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. When you put it that way, that puts it into perspective. So I want to hear a little bit more about how NYC FinTech Women started. How did you, you know, I know know you're the co-founder of that. So who did you start this with? How, who got the idea? Uh, I guess what inspired this? Yeah. So um, it was actually not that long after I got the role at Quovo. So I didn't know anyone in the US. It was my first ever sales role. I know that you have to have a network to be good at sales. And I knew I needed to build one really fast. Um, In addition to that, it's always been a passion of mine to help with gender inequality. I saw so many of my male colleagues get promoted above me because of relationships they'd made on the golf course or in the bar after work. And I really wanted to help women get the same type of opportunities. And my co-founder, Michelle Tran, she worked for a similar fintech. So she worked for Apex, which was like, we had many mutual clients at Quovo. Um, She decided to put on a meetup and I attended, there were only 16 women there. It was on a rainy night in a bar in Flatiron. And I asked Michelle if I could work with her on, on this initiative. And it's just grown exponentially since then. So um, our next event was actually at a FinTech's office. It was at Trade It since, since has been acquired. Um, and then it just kind of like really like scaled from there. Every fintech company in New York were asking us to host at their offices. So we did them at Stash, Rally Road, Payoneer, Adyen. We did them at traditional enterprises too, like Silicon Valley Bank, Deutsche Bank, Google. Um, And we ended up becoming quite popular. So we would post the event um, two weeks before in the morning and we would have a completely full by midday, with 150 people and then we'd have 300 on the wait list. So it was like very popular and exciting. Um, and a lot of other initiatives have spurred from that, which has been great. So how, how did that happen? Like, how did you go from something that didn't even exist at all to having 300 people on a wait list? Like how did, how did, like what, what kind of marketing did you do or how did you get the <laughs> word out there? Cause that's insane. Yeah. So, um, there were a few factors at play. Uh, we realized that there are a lot of other female organizations out there, um, but a lot of them weren't being as consistent as us in terms of their events and their content. So uh, we have hosted at least one event every month, sometimes two since we started. We also have very active social channels. So we have over 10,000 followers on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, and we do a lot of content. So every Friday we feature a woman who's transforming the industry in our FinTech Female Fridays blog series. Um, so we, we're very active in that sense. So as soon as we put something on social, we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of results from it. Um, we do have a very loyal member base as well. And I think that I would attribute that loyalty to, the nature of our events. 
So Michelle, my co-founder and I were both in sales. And so we used to go to four or five networking events every week in New York city. And so we saw the good and the bad and the in-between, and we really wanted our events to be what everyone likes doing. So we have what we think is quite a winning formula. Um, our events are always at 6.30 PM. So no one's feeling rushed, too rushed to get there after work. We always start with 30 minutes of networking so that people can have drinks and, and start to meet people. We have a panel that's never longer than 40 minutes, including Q and A, because we know people lose attention after work. Um, and then we set the rule that everyone needs to meet at least five new people. And we hear that a lot because um, we say, like, blame it on Sasha, blame it on Michelle. And we can hear women going up to other women and saying, you're my, you're my third. Um, Sasha told me we have to meet five people. And so it does really create like a very open environment. We're definitely um, accepting of all type of people to come to our events. We are very supportive of men coming to our events because we think that having male allies is the only way we're really going to create change. I love that. Can you speak a little bit more on that and where that idea came from? Because I don't think that's immediately um, intuitive to a lot of people when they think female empowerment and, you know, fintech women, it's kind of like, oh, we just want to build a community of women. We don't want, you know, any men in here to make anybody uncomfortable or anything like that. So I guess like where was where did that idea come from? And did, did you receive any pushback from the community about having men at these events? Yeah. So the, the place that that idea originated was that Michelle and I had both experienced firsthand when we had a male sponsor supporting us, it helped us with our careers. And the, the facts are that there are more men in senior roles in both banking and in fintech and so it does make sense that we need to rely on them if we're actually going to make change um, so that's always been something that michelle and i have been supportive of and um, the last thing that we wanted to do was create an organization that was considered like male hating or something like that uh, we just don't think that's productive at all um, we actually had our event at google purely focused on the topic of male allyship. And we had someone who was very influential in my life, Lowell Putnam, who was the CEO of Quova before he sold it to Plaid for 200 million. He was one of the speakers on the panel because um, he just did such a good job of really advocating for the women at Quovo. Um, so I just really think there should be more, more men like him and um, more junior women forming relationships with people that can advocate for them. I love that so much. I think it's so easy for us women to sometimes go overboard with the whole like feminism and female empowerment thing and almost do the opposite of what we're trying to do, which is build equality. But in, you know, when, when you go overboard the other way, then you're emphasizing inequality just the other way around. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So at these events, like what percentage of the people attending these events are men? Uh, so not that many, maybe like 5%. Um, but I do think that there can be more to be done to help them feel comfortable. Um, cause I have had the feedback that 
some people feel a bit uncomfortable going to an event like that. Like what will people think? So what we've tried to do is um, include male attendees in our social media posts after the event in the images and things like that. Um, since the pandemic, we have had to move to virtual, obviously, because there's no physical events. Um, so that's actually been great for us from both um, the attendees. So we do have met more males attending our virtual events. Um, it's also been great for in, um, removing the limitation of location and venue size. So no longer are we limited to just New York City and to just a venue of of one to 200 people. So our virtual events now get 600 attendees each, which is great. That's super impressive. Have you found that you've gotten a lot of new members since switching to virtual or um, have you ha have you found it to be hard at all to convert your in-person attendees, like the really loyal attendees to the in-person meetings to online? We were really nervous about it, to be honest. We just thought maybe this isn't the right thing for us. And we thought maybe COVID would end sooner than it did. Um, but we tested it. Um, we like we have amazing volunteers on our steering committee at FinTech Women, um, a lot of really technical engineers as well. And so they made us feel really confident that we were going to do a quality event. Um, and so now we've done five virtual events and they've all been very successful. So... Um, we're happy to keep going down this road as long as we have to. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got here. And I know you talked about, you know, starting at the big banks and then just realizing how much more opportunity was out there. But let's just go all the way back. You graduate from uni, you get your first job in Australia, and then at some point you hop over to London. So what led you to want to do that? And then uh, where'd you go from there? Yeah. Um, so... A lot of people don't know this, but every Australian gets two years to live in the UK before they turn 30. And so um, it's very, very common for Australians to take advantage of that. And so that's um, so cool. I wish the US so had cool. something like that. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Is it, has it always been like that? Like, where does that rule come from? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's because we're part of the Commonwealth. Like, you know, we, we actually came from the UK. Um, I don't know if you know, but Australia gotcha. was like a convict nation. <laughs> um, but that was many years ago and we still yeah. are part of the Commonwealth. And so um, it's been around since I can remember. Um, and it's kind of like a rite of passage. And I had decided to go when I was 26 and there were actually 21 friends that were going at the same time. So we had like a big crew already when we got there, which was awesome. Um, I knew that I wanted to get a job really quickly because I had lived in London before. I did um, a semester of university there and I was dirt poor. And I always vowed to go back and have enough money to travel Europe. Um, so this time I was quite strategic about it. There was um, a, a senior person who had left the bank that I was working at in Australia and he went to head up Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, and I knew he was coming back to Australia at some point and that he would be at this um, social gathering. And so I made sure I was there with my like elevator pitch ready to go. And he said, send me your resume. And I had it in his inbox at 6am the next morning. And so that was a great way to 
land a job immediately as soon as I got there. Um, so it worked out really well. I ended up setting myself a goal of going abroad at least once a month and I exceeded it. So I did 27 trips abroad during that two years. And it was just like, oh my gosh. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Like skiing in Val d'Isere with friends or sailing Turkey or going to Barcelona and Paris and Amsterdam. It was just like the best. Wow. So have you been like everywhere in Europe? Um, pretty much. <laughs> I've been to a lot of places. Do you have any favorites? I think that Turkey is like very like unknown in terms of the how beautiful the coast is and how like not touristy it is yet, which is great. Um, I really loved like skiing in Switzerland and in Val d'Isere as well in the French Alps. That was like definitely a highlight. That sounds like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Awesome. Was really That's good. awesome. Okay. All right. Continue. <laughs> um, and so while I was there, I worked for Royal Bank of Scotland um, in the consumer bank. And um, then I was poached for a role at City, and that was in the institutional client group. So that was servicing the largest 500 multinationals of the world. So like big companies like Shell and Ford, et cetera. Um, and I was actually in their corporate card division, which is what I do now for Ramp. So I can see the value of um, a tech forward platform like Ramp compared to a big traditional player like City. Gotcha. And so how long have you been in the States now? Um, it'll be three years tomorrow. It's my anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thanks. Oh, exciting. <laughs> are there, do you love life in New York or are there things that you miss about home? I love New York. I love it so much. I just love like the energy of the city, the variety, the diverse people. I love that it's a walking city and it changes like on every block. I just um, couldn't really say any like enough good things about New York. Yeah. My sister lives in New York too. And she like cannot leave. Like she's like, there's just no other city in the world. And we've traveled a ton too. Like I think she's been to probably around 45 countries and she's 22. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> she, she has not been taking her time with it at all. And she still thinks New York is the best. Uh, oh, she's actually here right now. And she overheard me saying that she's been to 58 <laughs> countries. Sorry about that. She corrected you. <laughs> Sorry about that. I way undershot that. So she's 58 countries um, and she's 22. So pretty impressive, but she's obsessed with New York. Yeah. So I can I totally it. get that. Do you think you'll stay or do you think you'll ever go back to Australia? Uh, I mean, I tried to go back to Australia after London and I found it hard kind of going back to what I said at the beginning of this, um, where it is like a, a smaller playing field is very far away from the rest of the world. Um, I mean, I love Australia. It's so beautiful and the beaches and, but I, I just found like from a career perspective that it was a little bit detached and far away. Yeah. Have you ever had any aspirations to start your own startup somewhere down the line? Uh, well, I kind of have in terms of like fintech women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. um, but, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like that being my like full-time gig. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just something, something that you could even carry with you to Australia or, you know, anywhere in the world that um, doesn't rely as much on like the physical location of where you're at. 
yeah, I have thought about things like that, um, especially as I have friends that like live in Bali and have their own companies and like do the like whole remote thing. Um, so definitely crossed my mind. There's also a lot that happens here in the US that that we don't have in Australia. And so that's definitely been something I've thought about too. Like what if I just took this to Australia and did the version there? Like that could be great too. So yeah, definitely on the radar. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So tell people who you are outside of work. Like, what do you enjoy doing? Obviously, you like to travel. What else do you enjoy doing in your free time? Yeah, so I definitely miss the travel. Even though I've been in New York for three years, I still feel like there's so much and I've just scratched the surface. So I love exploring New York. I love going to see art and museums and the like never-ending restaurants. I'm really into yoga as well. And that was like something that was cool when I came to the city. Like there's so many different studios. Hopefully that all opens up again soon. I also am in quite a serious relationship with my boyfriend and he has a big family out on Long Island. Um, so I'm kind of an aunt of four um, children. So I love them very much. They're so fun. And so I go out there a lot to hang out with them. That's awesome. That's so much fun. I I have realized that since um, the lockdown happened that I've, I have been spending a lot more time with family just because, you know, you can't really hang out. You can't travel. You can't go out and meet new people. You can't really hang out with too many people outside of your immediate social circle, which usually happens to be your family. So that's been, there have been some, I guess, silver linings to all of this, even for people like us who love to travel. Um, I've also found that it's forced me to take more road trips and explore more of the US. Whereas before, anytime you know I wanted to take a trip, I would just hop on a plane and go somewhere. So yeah. now I'm like, wow, there's actually so much of the US I haven't explored yet. You know, and totally. I keep going totally. to foreign countries. Yeah. Like your background right now. I want to go there. Yeah, exactly. We just took a we just took a two week road trip out west and hit up like six national parks, um, and just like stuff like that is, you know, I've never done before. And it's like, why not? Like we, it's it's so funny because my sister went on this trip with me too, and we both traveled a bunch. And every time we would go somewhere, we would compare it to a foreign country that we've been to. So like we were on this hike out in South Dakota and the whole way we were like, wow, this is like major Bulgaria views or whatever, you know, like, (laughs) and uh, my husband was was with us too. And he doesn't get to travel as much because he's a lawyer. So he's kind of stuck to his job, but he was like, wow, great. So now I never need to go to these countries because I've already been there. I was like, like sort of, yeah. Like if you go to certain places in the U S you, you know, you, you get like the Iceland vibes that everybody you know, talks about and post pictures about and like all these different things. But have you, have you had an opportunity to travel much around the U.S. yet? So I think through work, I've been to Vegas six times. Oh my gosh. I kind of never (laughs) want to go back. Um, I've done a lot of LA, tons of San Francisco because that's where Plaid was headquartered. Mainly through work has been my travel Chicago, Boston, Austin, but I, I definitely want to do more, especially if I'm not working. Yeah. I haven't ex- done one trip that's not been a work trip yet. Oh gosh. Yeah. 
Um, do you, what's like on your bucket list for the US? Uh, I wanna go to Napa Valley. Um, I wanna go to Colorado, I wanna go skiing. Um, so many, yeah. I'm going yeah. to um, to Portland, Maine soon. I'm excited about that. I really want to go there because that's not yeah. too bad of a drive from New York City, right? Yeah, it's only like five hours. Oh yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, I really want to go there. You have to let me know how it is. I mean, I've heard yeah. only good things about it. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, awesome. So once all of this is over and we're able to travel again, where's the first place you're traveling to? I'm going to go to London because my sister lives there and she's pregnant. So I definitely want to go and see her. I haven't seen her in so long. So I'm going to do Congrats that. Congrats to her. That's very exciting. Yeah. Is your family all over the world now? Uh, pretty much. My, my sister's in London. My cousins are in Mexico City and Singapore. Um, and my parents are in Australia. I definitely want to see my parents in Australia, but I'm going to have to quarantine for two weeks at the hotel airport if I do that. So. Oh, it has to be at the hotel airport? They don't even let you pass the airport? Oh, wow. Okay. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I, I ask all of my guests this question, but if you have one piece of advice to give to somebody who wants to end up where you are today, whether that is you know, working in fintech or maybe starting their own business or starting their own community, like fintech women, uh, what advice would you give them? I think the biggest factor to this being successful was that Michelle and I are really genuine people. Like we didn't have an ulterior motive. We weren't trying to like do this so that it like looked good on our LinkedIn like we genuinely wanted to help other women. And I think that really came through. And I think that's like a big reason why it did lead to the success that it had. I think like that in all aspects of my career as well. So like from a sales perspective, if you are just truly genuine, then people trust you more, people want to buy from you more. So I think that that's like a big lesson to, to, to maybe other salespeople. Like if, if it's not the right fit, then tell the customer that, and then you'll end up getting more um, trust with your customers if you're that transparent. And I, I guess like I've, I've heard um, just because I, I've had a couple of salespeople on and I think there's like so many schools of thought when it comes to sales, because especially with sales, it's not so black and white and there's no like, formula to it. Everybody kind of just has their own formula that they go by. And, yeah. um, you know, I've heard people say like, if you're a good salesperson, you can sell a piece of paper or like a rock, like you can sell the most boring things. You don't necessarily have to, you know, just have, you don't have to be like super passionate about it or anything, but I guess what would your advice be for somebody in a sales role who is like, I'm just not really feeling it. Like, I don't feel great about it. Uh, is that a situation where you would say, get out and find something that you actually believe in and you're passionate about? I would like first ask, like, why don't you feel great about it? Like, do you genuinely not believe in the product? And then if so, then definitely change because how can you convince someone else to buy something that you don't even care about? Um, but if it's other reasons, like if you're not feeling it because you're um, feeling like it's too competitive with your team and 
you know, you're not at the top of the leaderboard, then I think that the best thing you can do is just focus on you and not worry about what's happening with other people. Like that can be very detrimental to your success, but if you're diligent and you're genuine and you just work really hard, then success will come. I love that. I love that. It's all about just being genuine and going after what you really believe in. Yeah. It's a lot. The other thing I did want to ask you um, in particular is, I guess, where do you see the future of startups, especially as it pertains to fintech and women in the space? Do you, like, where do you see the space being in five or 10 years? So I think that sort of consolidation, we're already seeing it. So like when I started in fintech three years ago, there were like 10 different versions of Stash and Robinhood. And now like, you know, those are kind of dropping off and the major players are staying. Um, I think that there is a huge focus on supporting diverse founders right now, which is awesome. Um, much more focused than there was years ago. Um, I don't think we're going to see the results of that immediately though. I think that that's going to take a lot more time and it's going to be a shift in many different aspects. So VCs are going to have to start seeing, have to start trusting that women and other diverse types of founders can lead successful companies. Um, there has to be a shift in women believing that they can do it themselves so that we have more female founders. Um, but I do think that we have the momentum and the support to actually make a change. So I do think like in five to 10 years, the landscape will look different. And that's what I'm really excited about. I'm excited about it as well. All right, so before we go, I like to play a quick game with all of my guests. Or if So if you're down for a game, uh, we can play this or that, or we can play the word association game. And I'll let you pick. What's this or that? This or that is just where I say, two words like a or b and you you pick one um these are both like rapid fire no need for an explanation or anything just first thing that comes to mind okay let's do this all that okay okay cool (laughs) so i've got 10 sets of words okay Mm -hmm. so first one plane or train train hot or cold hot night or day day beach or mountain beach coffee or tea tea Freedom or stability? Freedom. Finance or tech? Tech. U.S. or Australia? U.S. Past or future? Future. Work or play? Play. <laughs> nice. Congrats. That was it. That was super fast. Great. Pretty painless. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So before you go, tell people where they can find you if they want to reach out to you personally, or if they want to join FinTech Women in New York, or if they want to learn more about Ramp. Yeah. So um, I'll start with Ramp. So uh, our website is ramp.com and you can sign up there. It only takes five minutes. Um, you can also contact me directly. Um, my LinkedIn is in is Sasha Pilch. Um, For FinTech Women, please follow us on our social channels. So we're NYC FinTech Women on LinkedIn, same with Twitter um, and Instagram. And um, our website is nycfintechwomen.com. 
Awesome. And I will include all of that in the show notes as well so people can reference it easily. And again, don't forget if you uh, have not listened to episode six with Lisa Hahn, also about RAMP and you want to learn more about RAMP, you can listen there. Thank you so much, Sasha, for joining. And yeah. hopefully one day when uh, all of this, this, the pandemic is over and uh, we can travel again, we can meet up in New York and have a drink. I'd love that. Awesome. Great to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.